because I'd heard loads of you know, reports from around our area of big cats around, but never ever seen one of these beasts myself. So it was like, oh, I've seen one of the big cats at last. Seeing is believing, and I have no proof of what I saw that day other than what I can describe. It was huge. It was like the weightlifter of cats. Welcome to Big Cat Conversations. We speak directly to people who've encountered one of Britain's big cats. We also discuss the bigger picture. I'm Rick Minter, and thanks for joining me. Hello and welcome to Big Cat Conversations. This is episode 59, coming to you in September 2021. I'm pleased to say it's going to be a chat in the pub. For this episode, we are joined by three guests because we're sitting outside the Why Not Inn pub in Herefordshire. It's an August evening and we're by the River Wye near Simmons Yacht and it's quite close to where Claire Balding, the well-known broadcaster, had her sighting of a big cat. We're going to talk about three people's own big cat sightings and the investigations they do now, motivated by those encounters. So a big thanks to the Why Not Inn and Chris, the landlord, for hosting us. And it's good to be doing an outside broadcast at a pub again. We have two guests from parts of nearby Worcestershire, not far away. And they are Dave Dickinson and Sam Griffiths, and we'll introduce them properly in a minute. Our other guest is another Dave, Dave Starkey. He lives just up the hill here, so it's his local pub. In fact, Dave Starkey was on the podcast in episode 32 because he wrote the book, a novel about big cats in South Wales, following his sighting there. We're actually going to start with Dave Starkey with an update on the book, Tom Marr. So Dave, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Rick. How's feedback on the book going? And have you thought about ideas for a second edition with a new plot? Um, Yeah, feedback is really good, very positive. I've branched out a little bit with the readers of the book and um, all the feedback I've had so far is good, accurate, especially since the podcast. I've had some fantastic emails with some of the people you know as well in in the community, in the Big Cat community, who've given real positive feedback. I'm really pleased with it. I was concerned when writing it that I would misrepresent and um, I don't think that's the case, judging by the, the comments that people have made. So really, really pleased with that. As regards future work, yes, definitely. I think since living in this area and knowing the history now of this, of this local area and uh, the, uh, certainly the, the nature of the diverse species that are in this locality, Simmons Yacht and the Dowd especially, the ancient woodland of the Dowd as a lot of people will know, is actually fantastically populated by a, a wide, diverse mammal population. And because of that, and the beauty of the place as well, it leads itself naturally into into stories, basically. Um, there's a lot of history here as well. Um, there's, there's mines, old mine shafts, there's caves, there's the rivers, the the deep, deep forests, the, the quietness and the species, and it all lends itself to um, a, a follow-up novel. And without giving too much away, the last chapter of the novel actually sways towards this part of the country. Excellent. So, um, yeah, um, as always, time is the enemy, and work and other commitments, etc. But, um, 
yeah, the ideas are starting to flow and um, certainly the people I've met since the podcast as well have um, definitely encouraged me to further the, uh, the story. Excellent. Because it is a story. Yes, very yeah. good, yeah. Mm. And of course, uh, a couple of us around the table have got trail cameras locally, with permission, yes. I might add. Yeah. So, we, <laughs> so that might spur you on if we get anything interesting on those. Definitely. But there is actually a potential half-decent photo of a lynx that right. you've just been shown by yes. Sam. Yeah. We'll steal Sam's thunder on that, because Sam's going to talk about other things. T tell yeah. us about what you reckoned of his photo of a potential lynx that he's just shown you. Yeah, firstly, when he described the area, I know it well, it's an old hill fort up on Little Doward again with a lot of history behind it and a lot of settlements over the years so we know exactly where it is and the layout and the openness of the ground you can see why uh, a big cat would want to make that his territory or her territory and then when Sam showed me the, the photograph of various zoom magnification even the sharpest magnification was you knew straight away looking at it and my first words were wow yeah that that's the tail that is that is the the gate of a big cat can you tell that to my other half please because it's the type of photo that she laughs at and says come back with something perfect yeah. but that's the problem isn't it it's not going to be an influential photo sam knows yeah, yeah. that <laughs> most definitely but seeing it fresh like that and it not even being explained for me straight away it was a it was a big cat yeah excellent the gate the and the tail and the, and the structure and its position yeah. it Let's couldn't be so. anything else Let's hope Sam gets it clearer, but it spurs you on, doesn't it? It was a bit of, bit of beginner's luck, I might it, say. It definitely was a bit of beginner's luck, yeah. <laughs> yeah. it motivated you. It did, so, yeah. <laughs> we'll hear about Sam's investigations a bit later, but while we've got you centre stage, Dave, could we have maybe an extract from the book? Certainly, yes. If that's okay? Yeah, I'll go through just a small extract from the beginning of the book. A solitary male and two females made up her second litter. The first litter of three did not survive their first winter. The cubs were only six weeks old when they were eaten by foxes, whilst Tom Marr was hunting away from the den. The devastating lesson taught her to survive on less and take fewer risks. Her custom was to navigate the extremes of her territory each night, which she could achieve with ease. Tonight, though, the journey, 12 miles to the north, reaching the Brecon National Park, and eight miles to the west, to the banks of the River Towie, would be cut short. Now, under cover of the woodland, Tom Marr began to circle in wide arcs, marking with spray and clawing the thicker trunks. The ingrained scent of humans sparked her senses where a meandering track crossed her path. Dog walkers and ramblers passed through the woodland by day, seduced by the calm seclusion and heady essence of natural vegetation. Tom Marr picked up their scent at dusk, but it was rare to encounter them after dark. Only the occasional hardy walker would venture out to this rural location at night. They were not a threat, more of a nuisance, as the dogs would track her aura until human call or whistle broke the pursuit. She headed through the heart of the woodland to a fallen tree which provided cover to stalk her nightly prey of rabbit. The scent of her mate hung heavy to the underside of the fallen trunk, giving rise to a sustained focus, taking in the air with a high nose, snorting to clear and sniffing again. The tang was deep-seated. She had not encountered her mate since last spring. Over nine months had passed, and now the scent had returned. Her mate was larger in stature, but younger by two full seasons, 
and his territory covered twice or three times hers. Tom Marsh shifted her elbows into position, lying prone, ready to pronounce. She waited, composed, ready for her prey to hop within striking distance. Brilliant. Thank you ever so much. It carries on with that vibe and there's a lot of human emotion in it and the plot is pretty gripping. Yeah, I tried to bring in the human element to the, to the story as well and people's reactions and, and the people who are passionate about the subject and actually track and try to photograph and report and actually want the, the species to you know, develop. I'm trying to get over the perspective from the big cat which is very difficult to do, which you can imagine, mm. but also throw in the human element to it as well and how people react. Yeah, or even how a cat would think if a dog's got its scent and it, it you know, it can sense that that dog's there in the woods with it and yeah. gets called back by its yeah. owner. It's, um, yeah, exactly. it's quite relatable to... Yeah. It is, yeah. Because you do go into that, you do, there's a lot of narrative about how the cat is thinking, the main cat is That's character's right, yeah. thinking, isn't it? Yeah. Emotionally as well, you exactly. risk doing that. Yeah. yeah, well, there's a writer coming up in a coming episode Nick Albert from Ireland so mm. uh, and he had his own encounters he right. decided well you can I asked him whether he was inspired to write further about big cats mm. as a result of that will you can hear his answer to that oh, good. at the end oh, of the next show it's a bit different from yours actually Is it? Oh, right. a bit of a plot spoiler but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, they, but that just shows you everybody's different not everybody yeah. is going to be fully inspired to think this is a, a a subject that you can play with as an author to yeah. to develop into novels and drama and that sort of thing. Brilliant. Now yeah. you're going to help me ask questions to these guys about their okay. sightings and yeah. follow-up yeah. stuff. And uh, So we're going to start with Sam and yep. Sam's uh, based in Worcester but gets all over the place all with over the the place, yeah. investigations. Yeah. And uh, Sam, tell us what started you off in this subject. It was the sighting that started you off, wasn't it? It was more the dog walking and just finding things that I couldn't quite I, you know, it wasn't out there looking for cats by any means, but you know, if I'd go by a big body of water and I'd find a footprint that looked suspicious, I'm like, you know, what, what's left that? And I used to walk on one of the hills. Well, I still walk there quite a lot on the edge of Worcestershire and Gloucestershire, and I just find carcasses every time I go up there. Deer carcasses, sheep carcasses. Every time I can almost put money on it, I'll find one. And I thought, what's what's here? There can't be that many foxes killing this much livestock and deer. So I started looking into everything and. Uh, the Claire Bolden thing popped up. It's a very good story that by reliable witness. I started walking in these woods here. I started branching out a little bit. I like walking in mountains and stuff. So the Brecon Beacons was, so I thought, well, I'll have a look on the internet. What's been seen in the Brecon Beacons? And I found it's the Radnorshire and the Powys Express. And it was a farmer had come forward and he'd said, something needs to be done about the cats in this area. A strip of road between Hay on Wye and another destination, I won't be too specific, he said there's cats here and they're taking out livestock, something needs to be done. So I thought, well, I'm going to go and climb up the Brecon Beacons Saturday morning, I'll drive up there Friday night, I'll drive down that road, 11 o'clock at night, if I see anything, I see anything, if I don't, I don't. And got to a little village, which in this newspaper article said, hotspot, and walking down the road on my side of the road, on the footpath, was a big black cat. And it was, it was literally walking in front of people's houses. And I probably got to within 50 metres of it and it sprinted across the road. And it was, it, it, I don't know, I can't really say how quick it was, but it, it was the quickest thing I've seen, mammal-wise, in this country. And it ran across the road, it ran across the car park of the village hall, and then it ran behind the village hall. So I, I saw it for probably only two, three seconds, but I saw it 
cross a space of about, I don't know, 100 metres, 50 metres, very quickly. Pulled up the van next to a farmer's gate, undone the seatbelt for my dog, who it's worth mentioning is a 45 kilogram German Shepherd, big male, follows me everywhere. He, he doesn't like being left, he'll sit there and cry. And I undid his seatbelt, told him to get out of the van, and he just sat there and cried. He just looked at me and sat there and cried. He didn't get out of the van. I thought, oh, cheers, nice to know you've got my back. You know what I mean? Nice to know you've got my back. Um, yeah. I got out anyway on my own, put the torches in the field, nothing there. But from that point onwards, I mean, I, I put it on Facebook just to tell all my friends and that. I said, oh, I've seen a big black cat, blah, blah, blah. And you can imagine the feedback I got from my friends. I'm a builder and they're, you, you're seeing things, you're off your head, this, that and the other. And yeah, and I, I invested in, in trail cameras. Straight away from that point, I got trail cameras and I just started setting them up anywhere where I'd seen an article. So, you know, Woodchester, Stroud Valleys, uh, Forest of Dean, Brecon Beacons, the Y Valley, all of these areas that I knew were hot spots. I just started setting cameras up. And like you said, beginner's luck uh, within, I think it was the first two weeks. And I'd, I, I leave the cameras out now for about six months, but the first one that I set up, I left out for two weeks. And that was the one that got that picture of the maybe links, maybe not links. And I contacted you or Frank. I come and met you and Dave here. I think you wanted to meet who who is this guy who's been around for two weeks and he thinks he's got a picture of a Lynx and uh, and I am a normal person. I didn't make it up and um, and I've had absolutely no luck since then. But um, it's funny you say about that that when I was eighteen and I'd not long passed my driving test, um, a black animal of some description ran across a single track road in front of me, straight out of bush, middle of the road, straight back out again. And I was only 18 at the time, and I didn't think anything of it. But I knew that it was big and black, and it had a big black tail. And I was 18, and I never actually told anyone about that. But now I think about it, and now I know how much I know, and how much research. I've researched that area, and it's in between a railway line and a canal. And it, that is the little track that is between those two areas. Well, canals are obviously a hotspot area, and railway lines are a hotspot area. So it, it's all, it all kind of comes together. And, uh, and I think that was probably a cat that I saw when I was 18 as well. But I'd never be able to prove that, and I'd never be able to prove what I have seen, but, you know, it, it is what it is. And I'm quite happy and content in myself that I've seen that, and I'm very lucky to have seen that. And if I don't see one again, well, I was lucky to have had that experience, Doug. So, um, yeah, it's, it's great. It's, it's an obsession, but it's, it's great. Before I hand you over to these two guys for questions, can I just clarify you went to this location you'd swatted up about it you'd read about yep. it and you pinpointed and thought i'm going to go and visit there yep. for uh, to, to just walk around and track and whatever yep. and you turned up there and saw a black cat yep. right on cue yep you jammy bugger yep <laughs> yep incredible <laughs> yep. yeah and i'm pretty sure before i left i was in the pub with one of my mates just having a quick pint after work and i said i'm going to see a cat tonight i'm going <laughs> to see a cat tonight and they're all laughing at me you're you're an <laughs> idiot you are and um, and i did I don't know, I'm, I'm very lucky with wildlife, holidays I've been on, anything like that. I've always had very good encounters with wildlife and I, I don't know whether it's just I've got an appreciation for it, but I've been blessed, I've been looked after and mm. Mother Nature's done me well. I think it's, it's because I have an appreciation for it. Like, Can you describe it in a bit more detail, the, the big cat? It was quite skinny actually, but it was tall, similar size to my German Shepherd and long, very long, a very long body and I said it moved very quickly, but it, it was um, it was so sleek. It was just it's hard to explain, you know. And it, if you see a horse running that speed, covering that amount of distance, it, it's using a lot of energy, and mm. it just looked so quick and smooth, like it was just gone like that. And uh, and that was it. Yeah, never to be seen again. <laughs> right. Any any comments from? Yeah, it's one question I was going to ask, just to 
regarding the not so much the way you've described it but the actual feeling you had seeing it and the way the way it moves and what and how that sort of hits you straight away it's not so much what it is it's it's the way it moves yeah and and that's what hit me and you know instinctively that that is like nothing you've ever seen yeah just by the way it's moving and the the sleekness of it and the ease that it just you know takes off and sprints at 50 yards like you said and gets across the road in, in yeah. seconds, you know. But it's, it's almost—it's also that surrealness of it, mm. because it's not—it's nothing that we're programmed to have grew up with. You know, yeah. mum and dad never said, "Watch, watch the leopards in the woods." <laughs> you know what I mean? And, <laughs> you know, and yeah. you've got this giant black cat running across the road. Yeah. You, you're telling yourself, like, yeah, I don't know. If, did I see that? Yeah. Did, is that real? You know, mm. um, and it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is. Any question, comment from Dave Dickerson? Yeah, I mean, you're talking about. <laughs> Your German Shepherd. I mean, that's exactly newspaper cutting which I brought along, which you'll have a, you'll see a copy on its website. Uh, that's exactly what the size, not the shape, but yeah. the height, longer than a German Shepherd. And it, I mean, it, basically, it, to, you are you you, th- you think well, what is it? And and you all this business about people saying oh. Oh, didn't get a photo of it. Well, for, for a start off, I, I didn't have a smartphone back in 1996 <laughs> anyway. But most people, they're just gobsmacked and they think, well, what is it? By the time they've realised what they're looking at and get the phone out, it's gone. If I just go back to right to the beginning, years and years ago, my grandfather on my mother's side, he was a poultry farmer in Norfolk, and he told me years ago about, I forget now whether he said it was the Fen Tiger, although it probably wasn't actually a tiger. But anyway, I, I did hear stories of that when I was a lot younger. And my mother said, yes, it probably is true. I didn't think anything more about it, really. And then years and years later, I can remember watching uh, what was then, I think it was Midlands Today or whatever, um, and it was in the local newspapers about the Inkborough incident in the churchyard and that sort of registered in the back of my mind I thought well perhaps they do exist just quickly Dave that's an alleged attack on, on a lady oh, yeah yes, yes. and her coat was scratched and she had scratches uh, she had to be treated in hospital for that one that's right I've seen the photos um, well there's photos in the paper of that and then years later a friend of mine Hugh Griffiths and I we were walking near a place called Saxon's Load it's um, near Ripple, near Upton upon Seven. We're actually looking for an old uh, wartime oil storage depot. We're walking along the, the side of the River Seven, looking across a field. The gate was shut and it wasn't really an official footpath. So we were looking across and I realised that what must have been the local farmer was walking along the hedgerow on the other side of the field to us about the width of a football pitch away from us. Not relevant at that instant, but looking back on it, very relevant. We were downwind. It was a brightly lit day, sunny day, dry day, but it was a strong breeze coming in our direction. We were just looking across and thinking, well, perhaps we'll go across in that field when the farmer's gone, and then we're just going to have a look around and then come back. He had a collie dog with him, and a black lab 
And I was just watching him walk along, and then he turned towards the farm. He, I don't think he saw us. And I noticed that what appeared to begin with, his black lab suddenly gone on our side of the hedgerow. I thought, either that or he's got two black dogs. Then we started looking again, and by that time he'd, he'd walked away from the hedgerow and was basically going away from us and going away from the hedgerow and away from this other black animal. And I realised, and well, my friend Hugh as well, we were looking at it, and we realised that it wasn't a black dog at all. I could see something sticking up, flicking in the air behind the main body of it, but you could only really just see the head and a bit of the shoulder blade sticking up. Basically, it was crouching down and stalking, but at the time, at that instant, we didn't know what we were even looking at. But I could see this black thing flicking up behind. It just froze for a while, and we couldn't really see it that well. And then all of a sudden, it came out of the ditch, because it was in a ditch by this hedgerow. And it, it came out of the ditch and went diagonally across into another part of the field and jumped over the gate. There was a gate on our right-hand side. It wasn't near us, but it, and he just went across diagonally and he jumped. Uh, he or she, I don't know. It was a black leopard, a melanistic black leopard, and it was black as you can imagine. It was like black velvet. We couldn't see its teeth or eyes at that distance, you know, but it's obviously a large cat. By the time it broke cover, it was out of the ditch. You could definitely see what it was. And it immediately went into a high-speed gallop, if you like, across the meadow, across the corner. Probably travelled no more than about 100 yards or so. And then it leapt to go over this gate, proper wooden gate. It's actually a galvanised steel gate now. I've been back there. And it leapt, it probably left the ground about nine feet in front of the gate. No dog or normal domestic cat could have done that. And it was a speed. That it, mm. And in the newspaper I said it, and then it disappeared. Well, what I meant was it just went out of view. We couldn't mm. see it. And I was really intrigued. I actually said to my friend Hugh, I said... We've all heard about these cats and seen things on TV and the newspapers and what have you. Internet wasn't about then, you know, really. And I said, all these idiots on the TV talking about big cats. I said, well, we're, we're some of those idiots now. <laughs> but no, it, I mean, it was the real deal. There's nothing, nothing else it could have been, you know. Dave, you went and told the farmer, didn't you? Oh, yeah, I went, I went to tell the farmer. We were watching the farmer the whole time as it walked along. And he said, oh, it, no, it's probably a dog, you know. He didn't even see it. His dogs were, I mean, I could see, it was September 1996. It was three o'clock in the afternoon, broad daylight, um, not raining or anything, just dry, but a strong wind. Um, he didn't look in our direction. There was no reaction from his dogs. Honestly, think they they didn't sense it at all, because the wind was. And this is an important thing with some of these sightings. The wind was coming from the dogs across the cat, and then several hundred feet later, hitting us. Hmm. So no scent of the big cat was travelling towards his dogs. And that's an important factor. And 
if I'm out in the woods and I, I can smell a carcass and basically if you pick up some leaf litter, tiny little bit of leaf litter, hold it in front of you and just drop it. Watch which way it moves. Therefore, the scent, whatever yeah. you're smelling, is in the opposite direction. And because people hunt around, I mean, we, we did this. Um, yeah, you normally actually, smell it before you see it. Yeah, mm. <laughs> but we we did this down in the forest of Dean with another one of our guys, Ed. We were looking around. We could smell some something rotting, and it, it was in the back of my mind that Jonathan Jonathan McGann, um, he did say, "Watch out for stink horns." because they uh, attract flies, they're like a sort of funnel shape, uh, it's a fungus, and they, they emit a smell of rotting flesh that attracts flies. Mm. And we did actually find, by using that sort of method, working out exactly which way the winds... It's better if, if it's not a really windy day, but just a gentle breeze. So you just pick some leaf litter up and just drop it, and it's whatever the opposite way to the way it falls, that's where the breeze is coming mm. from. And it was indeed a, a little stink horn that we found. <laughs> and that actually emitted a more gaseous uh, smell than rotting flesh, really. It's more like a gas. It mm. actually smelled like a gas leak in the middle of a wood. You know, how, how yeah. weird was that? It's interesting you say that, Dave. I mean, one of the things that I was conscious of when writing the book was to get over the, you know, the senses that the, the cats have and how they rely on predominantly scent. Yes, yeah. You know, probably 90% of their decisions are based on scent. Yeah. And it's interesting you're saying that. It's, um, it, it was a really good example of why the farmer, I don't know if the farmer himself, but mm. it was a really good example of why the, the farmer's dogs didn't notice it and why, well, we could see it because we were downwind. But that's why there was no reaction at all from the dogs. And we know from lots of sightings, if a dog sees a cat or senses that they'll, if they see one, they'll often crouch right down on the ground and, and freeze, mm. or they'll act really strangely. Mm. And this is a lot of your, your people that you've talked to, Rick, mm. you've got this, this business of the yeah. dog went crazy, unusual yeah. behavior. You were saying that earlier, Sam, weren't you? Yeah. About the change in behaviour of the yeah. dog that you know so Even well. Even when I collected that trail camera with the yeah. links, uh, the dog kept running away. And I actually had to tie him to a tree to stop him running away. Well, it's not that's completely uncharacteristic. Jumping the gate, Dave, that must have been quite a sight. And it's a rare sight, actually. They normally go low if they can, but of course people do see them jumping. But very yeah. rare to have a witness statement, one jumping a five-bar gate. Yeah, it, it just couldn't go anywhere else because the whole field was surrounded by, well, it's not wasn't thick vegetation, but it's um, black hawthorn hedge, and it wasn't a good idea for any animal or human to try and jump through a, a, a hawthorn hedge, you know. It just went diagonally across. It could probably see its escape route before it was even started to stalk now before i forget with that incident my mother went to the hairdresser and she found out um there was a lady in in the hairdresser who was talking about taking a dog for a walk about three days previously in an area a little bit further towards upton direction and the uh, on the a38 side 
she said my I took my dog for a walk and we saw a black beast and she, she said it, I don't know what it was but uh, my dog went all funny and I had to go home I don't know actually know the lady at all never met her but my mother said that this lady had actually um, mentioned that and um, when I'm told my mother about it the art sighting she said well that's funny because and then she told me about this lady so it had been around that area for a day or two and, the, and there are sightings of other cats and uh, even a puma down on the uh, m50 going on to the m5 uh, a recollection from a guy and his wife they're traveling up from um, somewhere in wales and they were traveling back and he was on the the slip road off the M50 to go north onto the M5 and Frank rang me up and gave me his number and I had a chat with him. He was dead serious about it. He, he said it was, couldn't believe it. He said his wife was asleep. She, he tried to wake her up. She sat in the passenger seat. He actually pulled up on the slip road on, on the hard shoulder and he said I couldn't believe it. And it was a size, not shape, but size and colour of a great dane so i'm looking at a little model of a puma here and mm -hmm. that's that kind of color yeah. but uh, yeah hey it was dead serious but the funny thing is that's not far away from our sighting but our sighting was a panther a black panther a metalistic leopard the farmer's reaction when you told him do you think he was a skeptic or was he throwing you off the case because he knew about it and didn't want other people to show an interest because it could have been either perhaps it could have been either it, his actual words were oh it must have been a dog you know and i said well no it wasn't the dog and it was actually looking through your two dogs because i said well i thought you had another black dog with you so sorry black lab because when he walked back to the farm, he just had the two dogs with him, no other dogs, Black Lab and a Collie. Yeah, but he was dismissive and he wasn't Oh, he there. was, yeah, he did, he, you know, well, big black cats, there. <laughs> you know. Sam, any questions to Dave about, any thoughts about that sighting? Um, yeah, if, if you sort of focused your research on that sort of area where your sighting was then? No, not really. I mean, the only sort of link I've got with that area is the fact that I now live very close to that area, but there have been other sightings of, there have been two sightings of black panthers, melanistic leopards if you like, down near Shatonga and a, another little bit further towards Tewkesbury. And there's also been sightings, or report, shall I put it that way, down Tewkesbury direction a few years back, a farmer had uh, found a sheep up in a, a tree before we leave the sighting section of the discussion can we just talk about the footage i've just shown you on a laptop yeah. which um is one of these things i've been sent privately that i can show people at a pub or at a talk yeah. but i can't release into facebook or the internet or whatever so maybe sam you tell me what you think you saw and what your reaction uh, to it yeah it's got the hairs up on the back of the neck yeah T two big black animals in front of it is a horse i mean it's reasonably blurry, but scale-wise, I thought it's pretty obvious they're good-sized animal. Especially one at the front, you can see it's got a big, long, looping tail, and the one in the background's moving faster than the one at the front, and you can see that it's got that sleek, uh, gliding sort of motion. Great footage, as far as I'm concerned. It's, it's just a shame they didn't 
record it for a little bit longer just to you know just observe them a little bit longer but yeah really really good footage yeah and that was from a county in the south midlands in november 2020 that was taken on a private estate dave what did you reckon of it particularly the first animal as you say sam the the tail the okay it's it's a fuzzy and it's quite a short clip it's probably only about five seconds long or something but the tail sweeping down behind the first animal you couldn't see it so well on the second animal it's probably a bit further away but they really did look the shape and the the way they moved it's basically a black leopard you know a panther that's what it looked like to me and it reminded me of um, and it's well publicized in the Gloucester area called the Podsmead Puma sightings now, I don't think it was actually a puma. I think it was a black leopard, panther. Now, I actually, I was so keen on finding out more about this. Several times I went down there. Very difficult to set up trail cameras. I ended up buying a small camcorder for the lady that kept seeing them. Sorry, kept seeing it. This is the thing, you see. It's a short video that she took for me it's drizzling she's holding out the back bedroom window but the shape of the i say the cap because i think it is that went across the meadow it's actually a rugby pitch it had the same sort of outline as the video that you're talking about in a totally different location many years later but the interesting thing is when i said them because on her video there's only about one frame and it's a shaky video it's not very good but there is one frame that shows a much larger cat it's literally lying down with its feet out its front paws out front down by the rugby post and it's only there very briefly on the video literally about one frame and then she moves back to this other animal, which is much smaller, but younger, I'm guessing younger. And I, I do actually believe that it was teaching its young to hunt. But again, going back to the video that we're talking about earlier, yeah, it's the same shape. I mean, you've got the sweeping tail, it's hanging low behind it. And the other thing is, if there were dogs, where's the owner of the dogs? What, exactly, who, you yeah. know. The near livestock, there's a horse in the foreground. If there were dogs... You've got to put it into the, the context, the, haven't you? Yeah. It's like um, when I saw the video half an hour ago, whenever it was, you've got to put it in the context of who was taking it. It was daylight. It wouldn't have been dogs because it's a working farm. Stray dogs just don't go on to working farms. It just doesn't happen. You know, people are very precious with their pets and they don't just let them just no, run off and, right. and go through working farms, etc. We don't get st that many stray dogs around anymore. The way that they moved across that field, not an arrogance, but certainly, uh, well, nothing can really catch us, nothing can really harm us. We're going this way, this is where we're going today, and we just happen to be going through this field. The landowner, whoever it was who, who took the video, just happened to, to to see it happening yeah and they're very fortunate but put it in the context you know what could it not be <laughs> yeah why is it that cat you know because it wouldn't be a dog for, for starters it doesn't look like one no you know? it doesn't it. act so, like one it doesn't run like one yeah 
and why would it be there anyway? Yeah. So, and what did you think of the scale? They were large cats. Even though the depth of field of the of the video was was quite distant, you know, it's probably over a quarter of a mile, I would say, past that wooden um, the gate and the, the fence, and then you see the horse in the distance, and then the the, the further sort of hedge line, etc. You know, so it's a good sort of quarter of a mile in, in the whole scale, and they were large cats. They were not small cats. Looking at the way that the one in front and seeing two together, the one behind was obviously in a bit of a sh bit of shorter uh, vegetation, and the one at the front seemed to be either crawling or was in a bit, you know, more tumpy grass grassland. But yeah, it's um, I always look at those and and just think of the of the context as well. Rare to see two. I mean, rare to have a witness yes. report of two mm, yeah. anyway, and and to get footage of yeah. two. Yeah. And, and allegedly another one caught up, was behind, and yeah. ran fast to catch up with them. So what's the explanation of three out? Yeah, it's mother. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And it's some so of the research I did for the book. I wanted to introduce the siblings and uh, and how they react with each other and how mates come and go yeah the, the evidence is out there and the natural history tells you that the at times in their lives they will stick together for a couple of years yeah. at certain ages yeah. it's exactly. also very relevant that why would this woman go out of her way to send this to you she didn't want it publicized mm. she didn't want anyone to know about it so why yeah. would she go out of her way to send it to you just just for your confirmation or to see what you think of it mm. you, you just wouldn't waste your time would you if you knew it was a couple of dogs it's yeah well if there's circumstantial evidence as well as they may have found deer or whether they've got sheep or whatever they're finding carcasses now and again i've got a situation on a farm near not far from me and the ladies had two small sheep taken literally taken and no remains at all Sorry, three now, three, and and two carcasses. Um, these are all spaced out about roughly about three weeks apart. Is there not an exact science on? Uh, you can't set a clock on on when it'll be back, but they've seen it. She's seen the cat walking across uh, a meadow at dusk. She knows what it is. They've never had any trouble at all. They've never had any sheep taken before, and they've. They, they were well versed in, in, in sheep farming and then, you know she's got 150 sheep on her land and they're clinically eaten overnight she finds them in the morning and uh, completely gone I mean the last sorry not the latest one it's almost like a surgeon had, mm. had, had um, separated the, the parts that the cat didn't want to eat and then you've got the carcass uh, say about yeah. six foot away from the the is it the rumen? I don't know the um, various different st stomach parts that um, the cat won't eat because the cat is a carnivore, uh, not a herbivore. And you've got trail cameras there, Dave? Yeah, well, unfortunately, I put one straight over the top of it, but I've never had a situation where anything but a fox comes after it. No. And really, there's, there was nothing to eat anyway. But I did check the camera, and unfortunately, because of where it was, I couldn't put it anywhere else but on a tree overlooking it, you've got sun on the grass and the nettles around the carcass all day long. I set it up too sensitive on the uh, PIR sensors. It just videoed all the way from one o'clock till about half past three, <laughs> continuous video. Now, I know you say, Rick, don't bother with videos. 
for that reason. Because if you set it onto camera, yeah, you, you still have still photos left on it. But, but I had a million, I'd have a million photos instead of about 150 videos. But you'd have some battery life left if it came back. Yeah. That's yeah. my point. But anyway, whatever it was that dragged it off, she said, well, it, whatever, something took it that, that night. And I think it's a fox. Yeah, it's normally the fox. Yeah, and, and there were bits of wool all yeah. around. I mean, there's no way it was a dog attack or anything like that. I've seen a dog attack. There's no way it was a dog attack. There's a few little bits of wool, but that was it. Years ago, we were on holiday in Scotland, caravanning in Scotland, and we were just looking out one evening. There was a sheep field opposite, and we noticed the sheep kept running around. Uh, and we thought, well, what's going on, you know? And we had a look, and then my mum said, no, there's a dog in there. We thought, well, let's try and shepherd the dog in, into the corner or something or do something, you know, and it was attacking the sheep. The police came along, a, a vet had to put down about three of the sheep. But there's bits of wool all over the field, you know. Hmm. I remember a, a sheep farmer, a state manager actually, from the largest sheep farm in the South Downs in West Sussex told me, about every two years they would get a sheep carcass that they thought was from a big cat impact and he said it was the distinct lack of chaos mm. so when there's a just like you're saying when there's a dog involved there is chaos good you're helping out a local farmer this is about having the network isn't it we have now got a farmer in a way we can't stop that happening but the farmer has got somebody to give them moral support possibly get it on camera to try and prove it and we are looking at how we can find some evidence for, of what the culprit is we obviously all think we know what the culprit is but to get actually more clinical evidence would be very interesting so we're on the case exactly that rick and i, I was just saying to her on the phone the other day you know that it's not just for our interest and for you to see a picture of what's killing them even though i'm, I'm absolutely 99 percent i know and i'm sure she does because she's already seen it yeah even though she's not seen it actually stalking her sheep. It's so that, you know, the authorities will recognise that these are, well, I say indigenous, they're, they're not officially recognised as indigenous, no. but... Yeah. Naturalising. But they're naturalising in this country, and um, the sooner the better the authorities accept it. People like her will have some idea of what to do and get some sort of financial compensation you know yeah well, we can come on to that because i'm going to ask you about what your motivations are and say if you got terrific unequivocal evidence would it stop you investigating but we'll, we'll take that later can we just quickly have a couple of minutes from each of you about how you go about your investigations where do you set up trail cameras what are you trying to look for sam first you know how do you go about sussing an area out and what are you hoping to I normally to do? try and go for a few points of interest so i'll go for cover somewhere where there's thick vegetation or cave systems or water source obviously and a viewpoint as well i get quite a lot of luck with old quarries and old railway lines and stuff like that i don't know why but um it just seems to be i enjoy that stuff anyway but um i just always seem to find quite good sort of stuff in those areas I, i've just just been to scotland and i stopped off at the lake district on the way back and i was looking for carcasses the whole time i was up in scotland i, I wanted to find some deer antlers or something and i got to the lake district i'd had enough of the hills and i thought i'm gonna do a flat walk i'll go and look at an abandoned railway line and underneath this old viaduct was a couple of carcasses spread about. There was a, a sheep, his horns had got caught in the fence and his back end had all been eaten. And I found my horns underneath the viaduct anyway. But it's just it was just very coincidental that I haven't come across any carcasses. And then I get to an abandoned railway line 
under this valley where a viaduct goes over and there was just all these carcasses down there and I thought is that is that just coincidence you know so yeah just just try and go for for something that can keep an animal going water source viewpoints stuff like that really um, and I always have quite good luck the edges of woodlands which boundary onto um, livestock areas I've been quite lucky one of the hills in Worcestershire it's always sort of on the edge of the woodland on the livestock area I'll always find sheep just inside the woodland areas you know like something's grabbed it pulled it over the fence and consumed it on the edge of the woodland and, and what's your motivation what drives you would anything stop you if you got something on your trail camera that was nine out of ten ten out of ten footage would you think right my life's mission is complete on this and move on to another hobby or is it just a life sort of driven yeah. mission I think to a certain extent you're probably right you'd be like right I've done that you know, I'd always be interested in it because I love me walking anyway. Yeah, I think it would almost be like the nail in the coffin. I know what I'm looking at now. I know what's there. I've seen it in beautiful detail. That is irreputable evidence, and that, that would be great for me. That would just be the icing on the cake. What I do with it, I don't particularly know. I would like to shut a few people up, not not necessarily go public and to the sun and look, look at this, but just really arrogant people. You know, you, you get... Facebook sites and stuff like this and people go on there just to troll people and you're all crazy you're all this you're all that and you think you know you look like you've never even been for a walk in the countryside and you're telling me I don't know what I've seen like you know it would just be nice to say what's this then and then just delete it and disappear and they can be sat there with that and, and not know what to do with it but yeah it's going public and, and enjoying the fruits or whatever I'm not interested to be honest it's not really uh, it's not not the aim of the game you enjoy the process of the detective work yeah. and, and the health benefits the physical and mental health benefits of being in the yeah, outdoors presumably. most definitely mental health wise um the outdoors is, well for me personally is the best thing that i ever discovered really i only discovered it three three four years ago and it was the best thing I ever did it sort of changed my life and now everything i do is planning the next adventure i love it it's great You'll be asking me the same question, Rick, and I'll answer in the same kind of way. I mean, really, it's an intriguing subject, and once you've sort of hooked on it, you, you want to get more and more evidence. And there'll always be people on Facebook and such like, they say, even if you've got a what would seem to you a perfect photo, yeah. they'll say, oh, yeah, yeah, but that was Photoshopped. That's and in all. America. Yeah, so. yeah. There are some Photoshop photos out there, and they've been proven to be so. Yeah. But... Um, that's not the agenda for us, you know. Uh, it's not the motivation, no, is it? No, the motivation no. is is the beauty of it and the the fact that you're almost like looking after those animals in a way. Yeah. Even though you can't touch them and you can't get near them, mere fact that you know the interest and uh, the fact that you you know you want to find out more, trying to understand them, understand yeah. them is what it's all about. I get a real buzz from looking at the SD cards on the computer or laptop at home. One day, I will get a, a really good photo or video, you know. He says having seen one in 1996 and <laughs> yeah. not got anything. Well, this is it. But at, least, but at least by a network of people and people start contacting and, and you can focus in on an area. And I'm, I'm focusing in on an area on a farm. We know that, that a large mm. cat is killing sheep there. And, I mean, I, I've got cameras in, what, three different locations wooded areas and what have you where, where they've been seen in the Stroud area, Forest of Dean, down here at the Dad. One day we might we might be lucky to get one in, in the wooded areas. If if you've got some sort of 
you know, incident, regular incidents going on in a certain area, uh, as you say, when you, you yep. found yours, you spotted mm. yours the first time, that took you into the target zone, if you like. Yeah. You know, it, it all helps. Being part of a collective effort, I think, it makes it yeah. different, doesn't it? Because you think you're not just in an isolated situation. That's right. It's nice to see and hear other people's findings as well. But Dave, 1996 you had that sighting, it was not so much an issue then perhaps, or you didn't think it was and you were new to it. Would you have thought, if you started investigating then, that you'd have got more progress by now? Well, don't forget Rick, back then the trail camera consisted of a, well if you were lucky, a plastic box, a 35mm camera and a a trip wire. Mm. And then he went back... (laughs) A week later and and wound on the the film and then you get another single picture of <laughs> of a rabbit tripping your wire or something <laughs> but, but technology has moved on tremendously now there's so many trail cameras i mean well the internet you go onto ebay and there's just loads of them there's so much technology there and what with thermal imaging as well Dave, we're just going to have to break because we're just going to say goodbye to Dave Starkey. He's got an early start tomorrow. Yeah, I have, yeah. And I've got to walk up a dark hill through the woods after listening to all Dave's stories. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Try and get predated as, and we yeah. can swab your body yeah. and get yeah, some evidence. Yeah, 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 yeah. I hope I survive, yeah. Nice yeah. to meet you all. It's been You'd fantastic. You'd be able to write you, another yeah. book about your... Yeah, your if I've got any limbs left. <laughs> Lovely to see you, Dave. Yeah, Thanks ever you so well, much. Guys. I'll yeah. be ordering yeah. one of your books on Amazon. Yeah, you go for it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Nice to see Lovely you, Lovely to meet you, Okay, cheers. Take care. Cheers, Dave. Yeah, we're talking about technology, um, yeah. Dave Dickerson. Now, one of the problems we've got is um, people are not getting the, these videos from their mobile phones. I mean, not, it's not always a big cat. Sometimes they're, they're filming a feral cat and, or sometimes it's a bit larger than a moggy and they're fooled by it. Sometimes maybe it is a big cat they're filming, but their mobile phone video function just has this distortion it just cannot get the clarity when they zoom in and they don't realize and it may be low light dawn or dusk or whatever or the distance so you are a great advocate of people like us needing to have high quality zoom cameras in their pockets if they ever are lucky enough to see one in the distance well, I, I say to anybody that's um, interested in spotting or going into areas where there may be big cats putting up trail cameras or whatever if you've got a, a GoPros or something like that, a lot of guys have fitting them to a bracket on their shoulder or cap or whatever. There's even one guy now, he's got what he's got two cameras, or he's going to get two, one looking behind him and one looking in front. If you do see a cat, by the time you've pulled out the phone out of your pocket, it's gone anyway. Now, if you've got live recorder running all the time, there's a chance you might get it, you know. Yeah. Just like having a dash cam on your car, yeah, that's right. a dash cam on your body. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. As time goes on, there's more and more chance of such technology uh, capturing a large cat. Hmm. Um, Depends how people break the news, though. You know, if they go to a public body, the public body is not going to help them release it. That's the issue. It is just that, yeah. that sort of difficult tactics, isn't it? But I, I think you're right, the, the technology is with us. I think these zoom cameras, though... Well, I mean, I, I've got a camcorder that will zoom in on something you know literally well over a mile away there's a lot of camcorders out there which have got times 50 zooms but they've also got image stabilization 
which makes a lot of difference. Yeah. Obviously, if you're observing an area, you want to observe an area properly, you need to put your camcorder on a tripod. I'm talking like sub 200 pound camcorders. I'm not talking necessarily 4K over a thousand pound camcorders. A fairly basic, you know, modern camcorder will run rings around the old-fashioned tape type camcorders. The other thing I'd say that anybody that's into or thinking about a thermal camera, they don't need to worry too much about whether it will identify an animal at a great distance. The thing to do is to have a decent camcorder with you so that if you do see something on a hillside looking across a valley, you can then use your camcorder to zoom in on it. Some thermal cameras actually um, you can switch from normal optics to thermal but then you're talking more money but it's horses for courses really. But are you talking about using a thermal camera in day daylight because obviously the camcorder is not going to help you at night time. Oh no that's right oh no day no. daytime hmm. I mean yes obviously they use thermal scopes and night scopes with uh, infrared illumination for shooting and for lamping and what have you but uh, now I'm, I'm just talking about daytime footage might be half a mile away or something on the other side perhaps a mile or, or, or so with a thermal scope you might see just a distant dot but then you can and this is in daytime then use your camcorder and zoom in on that dot and you would spend hours trying to find that item that that animal that you've picked up on the thermal otherwise you know you, uh, without the thermal yeah so, so it's it, high powered zooms and yeah. should be more routinely used by us investigators that's right yeah sam uh, you do instagram tell us what your benefits of doing instagram um i just like to keep a log of the destinations that i go to really i've put a few trail camera images on there and stuff but not cat related just i've put the reason why i set the cameras up because i've had sign of the cat um but people have loved the images that I have put up, like wild boar, had a deer and its fawn, and they they were cleaning each other. And people said they were some some of the most beautiful natural shots that they'd ever seen. But to me, like you know, obviously I appreciate it, but that's not why. That's not why I, I know the deer are there. I see them when I walk the dog. I see I've seen the boar in the road when I've been driving along. I know they're there. I, I want to want the cats, you know. But um, so yeah. so it's a way of harnessing the other wildlife pictures you get when you're doing your trail camera work yeah. and you're out yeah because i delete most of mine and it, there's thing, some yeah. there's some cracking pictures it's actually amongst them yeah. although i send them to the farmers and landowners and estate owners and yeah they and the businesses and they actually appreciate them of course i, th I think um you know because we because we see that much of it you know you, you you scroll through a thousand images of of deer and it might be the same family of deer walking past for that month <laughs> the same trail do you know what i mean and uh, and and you think oh i'm sick of seeing these deer but you show anyone who doesn't go out walking those images of a family of deer walking through and they think wow that that's you know that's beautiful that's a great thing to see and it, and it is you know it should be appreciated and not just that but some of the locations where sightings have been taken are beautiful the forest of dean the y valley here uh, the brecon beacons they're beautiful locations like whether you are into big cats or not you can go for a lovely walk around there take the dog somewhere and there's loads to see yeah. if you are lucky enough to see a cat like i was then then you know lucky sure. you, look at you like this <laughs> even though we also look at the scruffy urban fringes of places where like you said the abandoned railway lines and wastelands yeah. and if there's deer and rabbits and hiding places and water oh yeah and cover, those if, are good if, if well. there's a hole i'll I'll get my torch out and I'll climb in that hole, um, hoping that that you know 
Uh, one, one of the big cat enthusiasts, I um, actually met him at, and he's the Forrester Dean, people will know what I'm talking about, but I met him at one of the big cat nights. Nymphfield. Okay, Al- this is Alan, perhaps, is it? It was Alan, yeah. yeah. And uh, and obviously my picture of the links had been shown, and he said, you're on the wrong side of the river. <laughs> and I've, I've spoke to him a few times, and his partner years ago, it's in a links on the other side of the river, and there's another hill fort up by Yap Rock, and there's caves and old rock formations around there, and he seemed to think that these links were using the caves for shelter during the winter months and, and moving from cave to cave. I've, I've not found anything up there, but it's it's interesting to know that other people have different, you know, different ideas and stuff. I agree totally with you, um, Sam, on wildlife corridors, old disused railway lines, and I mean a lot of sightings are near disused railway lines yeah. and also along canals as well. The linear routes that they use, especially at night when we're not around those places. It's one technical thing, if you like, well, it's not that technical, but um, but years ago I went round uh, the Jorvik Museum and um, SS Great Britain recently, and I was thinking about the uh, artificial scents that they use to enhance the atmosphere to make it smell like yeah, yeah. a horse's stable or whatever and there's a firm on the internet selling them Aroma Prime uh, make various different scents which are sprays and I've got two here one rotting flesh and another one of blood now I've actually tried these in front of cameras as an attraction it's a clear liquid it non-invasive it doesn't pollute or anything i tried it one or two cameras locations i haven't as yet found that suddenly i've got loads of you know pumas uh, or leopards appearing on on camera what about foxes and what and dogs oh yes foxes um i i have noticed the blood spray uh, it just smells like dried blood basically uh, in an aerosol can i'd say i on one particular camera the, the local fox seemed to be sniffing the tree that I sprayed it on a little bit more, you know, perhaps than if he's just walking past casually. Yeah, he did definitely smell it. Or maybe thinking, what is this artificial rubbish? Well, that's right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it was good enough for him to... St- I mean, if it had been a big cat, I'd have caught him because he, he spent the time stopping in front of the camera where he wouldn't otherwise... But very good idea Dave it's um, and it's affordable isn't it this stuff this one really I mean those those two aerosols are over there I mean they'll probably last for about I don't know at least 20 camera installations if you like yeah. you know yeah but anyway th- thanks for the tip on on those sort of artificial smells that are used by places like uh, well museums and whatever to I'm going to ask you the question we normally ask the normal podcast guests. What's your attitude to these cats, your emotional attitude? Do you think it's problematic? Do you think it's exciting? Do you think we, we actually don't know? Do you have a personal view about big cats living wild in Britain? Well, I think basically that they're, they're an apex predator, but they're, they're not going to attack humans unless they're cornered. They will take animals um, on farms, unfortunately, and but they need to be recognised by the authorities that they do exist. I think it's one of these things that we need to live with and understand and accept. All this business of, of, of um, the Royal Marines going out and um, mm-hmm. the Beast of Bodmin, believe you me, they definitely exist, 
But if they're that hard to even get remote footage when no one else is around but a camera, there's no way that they're going to get rid of them. It's, you know, we've got to accept that they exist. So, yeah, Sam, thank you. I, I'm very grateful they're here, to be honest. I, I don't know whether they've been here since Roman times or, or the World War One, Two releases when there was ration cuts or whether it is from the release in the 70s, but I'm grateful they're here. And... Um, I have no fear whatsoever when I go out walking in the forest. I've got a dog with me and I go out night time and that and I don't have any fear in me. I'd love to see one again. Don't want to come face to face with it in a, in a small area, but um, great stuff. It's brilliant. Can I just say, Rick, thanks for having us, basically. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> We've forced into it. <laughs> into it. Okay, well, thank you for being part of the podcast. Um, and obviously, we said goodbye to Dave Starkey earlier, and we'll probably see you again in the podcast series. But meantime, thanks very much for being on this episode of Big Cat Conversations. Thank you to the Why Not In. And I look forward Cheers. to reading, uh, reading Dave Starkey's book. For our words of the week, Dave Dickinson who we've just heard from, has suggested spectral sensitivity. It's certainly very valid and relevant to our interests, and Dave's kindly prepared this briefing for us. So here goes. Spectral sensitivity, which is also sometimes called spectral response, is directly connected to our studies of large cats in Britain. Spectral sensitivity is also linked to the study of much smaller wildlife, as an example, moths have antennae that are tuned to particular frequencies of the infrared spectrum to help navigate to heat sources in the dark, and some spiders are sensitive to ultraviolet light. Examples of spectral sensitivity issues that are relevant to the subject of large cats include the spectral range of human eyes and the spectral range of cats' eyes. As far as the study of big cats, or indeed any wildlife observations at night time, the spectral range and specifically the optical frequency sweet spot of any electronic optical sensing device, or the eyes of a human or a mammal, will determine how efficiently the eye or electronic device can create or interpret an image that is being viewed. From the standpoint of nighttime illumination on trail cameras and other devices such as night vision scopes for assisted illumination, the light source needs to be tuned into the same sweet spot of spectral response as that of the camera internal sensing device. If these two sweet spots of the optical frequency range are not similar, it will affect the illumination shown on the generated image. Now, a common use of the word spectral is ghost-like, so that aspect of visibility and clarity is the link with spectral response. So thanks again to Dave D for spectral response as words of the week. Moving on, we are overdue a focus on Scotland because we have some important points to catch up with there. In that edition, we'll also discuss the recent nighttime footage of the cat in the front garden at Larkhall. Was it a domestic cat on a fence or was it a puma on the path next to the fence? All that and our own check on the body of a large cat and more coming up in two episodes' time from Scotland. Meanwhile, for the next edition, we'll be returning to Ireland and we'll hear about some past and hopefully some very recent sightings. Incidentally, we have an update snippet from La, who was our episode 57 guest recently, when he was watching a big cat in the field behind his house. 
La thinks the cat might have been back once since we had him on the show because of what's been heard and the commotion following that noise in the field outside his house. He set up a trail camera as he pledged to do so, so we'll hope all's well with La and we'll have a return visit to Ireland next time. Okay, we are through for this episode, so a big thanks to our pub guests Dave Starkey, Dave Dickerson and Sam Griffiths. Sam's Instagram link is on our website under episode 59 of the Refs and Links page and you can see photos of us chatting at the pub there. Thanks as ever for listening and remember you can email me anytime if you'd like to be on the show or if you have any suggestions. The email address is on the website and it is rick at bigcatconversations.com Righto, hopefully see you back next time. Take care and bye for now.